0: Lord, we come before you proclaiming your praise, thanking you so much for your son who has come, who is with us. We celebrate, we look to you, we glorify you today. We thank you for the opportunity, the privilege that it is to come together as the body of Christ. And we thank you that you're here. Would you speak to us today, God? Would you comfort and strengthen everyone today, Lord? Draw near as we desire to draw near to you. Make us more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. you may be seated. Merry Christmas. I pray you all had a wonderful Christmas day yesterday, Christmas Eve the day before, and then today, we get to celebrate for many days, right? We just make more uh, fun out of these things, every opportunity we get, of course, glorifying the Lord while we do it, and we are just grateful to be able to, to fellowship together and to gather together in the name of the Lord. And today, I want to take some time and talk about exactly that, the name. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. The ushers would be glad to get one to you. And if you do not own a Bible, uh, we want to make this a gift to you. And just let us know that you took it so that we can replenish it. When you get your Bible, you could turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. For our Cornerstone Family Christmas Sunday, we celebrate at Christmas time, of course, the birth of Jesus. And when we talk about a birth, and you think of all the things, you think of the birth announcements, right, in this day. In that day, they didn't have the social media to make their birth announcements. They didn't have the opportunities to do their big gender reveal parties. And have the blue or the pink smoke bombs or confetti cannons and all the fun things like that. And they didn't have, you know, name picking the way that we would imagine or the way that we plan it out these days. But there was the greatest emphasis ever put into the naming of Jesus, the Messiah, planned for long before his birth. And we read here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says this. And we know it well, but we will read verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, maybe sung songs since we were kids, and we've heard these verses, and we've read these verses at Christmas time every year, and we know full well this is a prophecy of the birth of the Messiah, Jesus. And in this prophecy, 700 years before Jesus was born, After this, in between this prophecy and the birth of Jesus, there was then 400 years of silence... They called it the dark age, this time that there was just silence, the silence and darkness of, of the people and facing oppression and struggling through life and wondering when is the Messiah coming and where is the word of the Lord and having to hold on to the hope of the promise. But here is the hope that is given to a people through the prophet Isaiah And the hope of the promise that is in the name of Jesus. The name that is given. And the name that there's given all this focus on giving to him. It says, and uh, for unto us a child is born. Our starting point being unto us. We can read this for generation after generation after generation after generation. And know that it is for us unto us, now this was 700 years before Jesus was born, and they prophesy with that hope and that confidence to say, unto us, unto a people, unto a nation of Israel. And then for us, now here we are, so many thousands of years later, able to say with the great same hope and confidence, unto us, Jesus has been given Unto us. Then a child is born, and a son is given. This is a little bit redundant in what it's saying. Uh, Unto us a child is born, a son is given. That makes sense. If you said it once, it would make sense to, you know, that's enough, right? But he says it again to give this emphasis of the humanity of the Messiah. The Messiah is coming in human form. He will be God in full, in in all of his deity, which we'll get into later on a bit. God in all his fullness is going to come in human form. He's not coming in this angelic, you know, glorious way of, you know, the halo around his head at all times and hovering across the earth. This is the picture sometimes we get of the Messiah, even of Jesus in a manger. We think that there was a glow around the manger, right? We have the pictures of it to prove it. That's what we think. There's the pictures, there's the videos, there's all the imaginations that we have of what the manger scene might have looked like and the glow that was taking place coming from the manger, And perhaps the glow that came from Jesus as he hovered across the earth. That didn't happen that way. Jesus came in lowliness and humility, in all humility. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that. In the likeness of a man, he humbled himself. So the son, the child being born and a son given is that he is fully human and acquainted with humanity. Also, he, wasn't, he didn't just enter into the world or come onto the scene as a man to rule and reign. He would rule and reign, but he came as a baby. And he was then acquainted with all humanity through birth, through life, through suffering, through his death and then ultimately performing this great miracle through his death and resurrection, demonstrating his deity. But he was acquainted with humanity. Then the government will be upon his shoulder. Now this is a great word of hope, a great word of promise to a people who are oppressed in this dark age, in this silent age that they are looking for and longing for some sort of hope and some sort of help through their oppression. But now to say the government will be upon his shoulder. Now, if you were with us the other night on uh, Christmas Eve, we discussed the fact that there was a time that the government was being built up in a mighty way. The Roman government and the Roman economy was booming. I mean, it was, it was amazing by, to, to most extents of government, right? And so to imagine that this baby would be born, God coming in human form, and through that, through that baby, the government would be on his shoulder. It doesn't always make sense, but there's great hope in that promise, it will happen. The government will be on his shoulder, and meaning that we will be governed by God. We will be governed by Jesus. All government will rest on the foundation of Jesus Christ, whether they like it or not, whether they want to or not, whether they're doing it right now or not, it will happen because at The name, and we're going to get into this name specifically, but at the name of Jesus, Philippians says, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It will happen. So even though the Roman government of this day would puff out their chest and say, we have all the power or the government of this day that we live in would puff out their chest and say, we have all the power, everybody just follow us blindly and trust us and do whatever we say or else. They don't even realize that they will bow. All will bow because we will be governed by Jesus Christ. The government being upon his shoulders is also a claim at the moral standard of Jesus Christ. The government tries to claim all this morality, that they know what's right and wrong. But there's no morality apart from Christ. There is no right apart from Christ. And so without Christ, we can assume that decisions that are made are just all over the place. And we'll get into a little bit further on as we talk about his name, he being the counselor. But without him, there's no morality, and without him, there is no order. The government must rest and depend upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And his name will be called. Now, he's got a good name, doesn't he? Now, I like to think I have a good name, Michael. It's a good name. I know there's several, if not many, Michaels in this room because it's just the way it is. We live in New Jersey, especially. You say Michael and 15 people turn their head most of the time. Years ago, when I was the youth pastor, we had eight Michaels in the youth group. Out of 50 kids, we had eight Michaels. So you say, hey, Michael, or Mike or Michael. Like, yeah, what? I could get half the youth group to respond to this one name. And myself included. Over the last 50 years, Michael has been in the top five of names in the United States of America. Every single year, 32 out of those years, it's been number one. So I like to think I've got a good name, just saying. And if you have a Michael, good job. I have one, there he is. There's a few over here, I see you guys. <laughs> There's Michaels all over, and we think that's a good name, right? Listen. What gives what makes a name good? Is it is it the name? Like that's a good strong name, Michael. Or is it the person? Is it the character? And when we look at the name of Jesus, it's the only name that holds true weight. And has true meaning to it. And it's not actually just the name. It's actually his character. It's who he is. We could give anybody we want the the best name possible and we can agonize over it for the months. And some people have names picked out before they have kids, right? If it's a boy, it's gonna be this. If it's a girl, it's gonna be this. And they've got it all mapped out. And we can agonize over that decision and make the decision and be all committed to it and think it's a great name, but the name doesn't make the person great. Jesus is the name that makes a person fall in humility at his feet. Any one of us, greatness? There's no greatness apart from Christ. The name, his name, Jesus, is great. And here in chapter nine, verse six and seven, we see the prophecy 700 years before Jesus was born. And the focus and emphasis given to the name of Jesus. We think we plan out our kids' names. God planned out the name. And the name was given. He was given the name that is above every name. His name will be called. Not, there's, no, there's no guessing game. There's no trying to figure it out. As we did with all four of our kids thinking, hmm, what are we going to call them? If we name them this, if we name them, you know, Michael, we can call them Mike, right? If you name them Jonathan, you could call them John. If you name them Robert, you can call them Bob. I don't get that one still, right? <laughs> There's many of those, right? But you go, William, Bill, right? Hey, if you're a Bill, congratulations, that's great. I still don't get it. But we, we have these ideas, oh, he will be called, You see, Jesus, his name will be Jesus. And in that name, there is so much that goes with it. And you know what? We don't get it. We try to wrap our mind around it, but we can't. We can't figure out the fullness of God. That's the reality. And so in his name, it goes on and on and on. There's so many definitions of who God is, descriptions of his character and his greatness. And now here's just a few. In Isaiah chapter nine, he will be called wonderful. Wonderful. He, Jesus amazes us and we stand in wonder, right? Wonderful. It is full of wonder, And so we are amazed and we stand in wonder at who he is. Again, this is not just a name he's been given, but his character that is represented and presented through these many names. One of the definitions of the word wonderful is miraculous. Another, marvelous another extremely good, and another inspiring. There's a lot of different adjectives that describe this one adjective, wonderful. Yet Jesus alone can be defined as wonderful. As we are filled with wonder, we marvel at him. We are amazed by his glory and that we get to behold him beholding the lamb who takes away the sins of the world continuing on he his name will be called wonderful counselor jesus is our great counselor we have the bible we have his word and this is the greatest counsel we have the word of god and sadly our world is all in chaos because of bad counsel. A counsel being a a group or congregation that come together and deliberate to make decisions for other people. But we have Jesus, the great counselor who represents the fullness of God and he's given us his word so that proper decisions can be made. He is the one and only counselor. He's our guide. He's the only life coach that we need. And he is the answer to our problems. And let's just admit this, we need counseling. <laughs> so we need Jesus. He is mighty God. He is mighty and he is God. Let's keep it simple, right? It's a clear statement of his fullness. It is a clear statement of his deity. It speaks of his strength. It speaks of his power. But it proclaims, more importantly, that he is fully God. We started with this point that unto us a son is given, right, a child is born, a son is given, speaking of his humanity. But now to say he is mighty God is clearly speaking of his deity without question. He is fully God. He is full of power and might. And according to Revelation chapter 1 verse 8, he is the Almighty God. It says I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This describes what mighty God means, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He was and he is and he is to come forever. He is overall, he is glorious. He demonstrates his power time and time again. He's done it throughout all of history. We can read about it in the scriptures. We see it even in the Christmas story in Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two as he reveals his glory. And we talked about the other night, the Shekinah glory of the enshadowing that comes around Mary. The glory of God revealed and he reigns and he rules forever. The mighty God. We could just go on and on of of the different names of who he is. And that's, it's not just titles given, it is who God is. It is Jesus Christ coming in the fullness, in the likeness of man, but the fullness of God. And there's just a few here, and some common ones that we might have heard many times. There are many. Jesus, or the names of God, Jehovah, the Almighty, Jehovah Jireh, the Provider, Jehovah Rapha, the Healer, Jehovah Nisi, our Banner, Jehovah Shalom, our Peace. And even at Christmas time, all of those things we experience and we proclaim he provides for us. We have the blessing of coming together as family. And we break bread together and we open gifts and we, we thank the Lord for the opportunity of what he's given us, that he has provided such blessing and he's provided such grace and mercy to us. We remember that he is our healer, grateful for the health that he's given us and that Even in the midst of suffering, he can heal and restore. We remember that he's our banner as we proclaim these truths throughout the whole Christmas season. We sing the songs, joy to the world and silent night and waving the banner of Jesus over the banner of Rudolph and Santa and Frosty and all the other things. We wave the banner of Jesus And he is our peace. Time and time again, we are reminded that he is our peace and we will further look into that in a moment. You see, we could go off down all the different rabbit rabbit trails of who he is and the names of God and the name that has been given to Jesus. But this clearly identifies him as mighty God. He is fully God. He is the fullness of God that has come in the likeness of man. We continue on, then, Everlasting Father. The idea in these words in, in the original writing of the, in, in Hebrew is that Jesus is the source or the author of all eternity. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. Jesus is the word. And the word was with God and the word was God the source of life is Jesus Christ and that's what this is telling us here in the title in the name everlasting father he is as we read in revelation chapter 1 verse 8 the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end he is the source of life all things are made by him for him through him and he's the author of eternity so when we say everlasting father he is everlasting God almighty God everlasting father beginning and end he's the source of life and he's the author of eternity we continue on then he is the prince of peace because Jesus brings peace and he doesn't He doesn't, it's not just like, well, he brought peace and then they had peace for a while. He brought peace and it remains because he's God with us and therefore peace remains with us because he is peace and it's only Jesus that's going to bring peace. We will be at odds with the world as believers in Jesus Christ unless we see people come to Jesus. We're going to be different. Jesus tells us we are not of this world. But he brought peace between God and man when he took the punishment of death on the cross. And to this day, he brings peace to our hearts in the midst of suffering, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of pain, in the midst of of the things that you face in life that may be so difficult for you. And maybe right now, even at Christmas time, you're reminded of all the pain, maybe, all of the suffering, all of the loss that you've experienced. But remember that it's Jesus who brings peace. There will be peace agreements, promises of peace in our world today, they will not remain. Jesus remains, and the word of the Lord endures forever. He will rule and reign, and he is peace. He brings peace between God and man. He comforts us, and we need to be reminded of it, especially in the world today where it seems like there is such a lack of peace between people. We know the answer. It's Jesus. We could try to put a label of all the different things and disagreements. Say, well, this is the problem. The problem is sin and everybody needs more of Jesus. Ourselves included. Let's not be so quick to point the finger at everybody else and say there's no peace because you need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Christ in me, the hope of glory. Not Christ in you, the hope of glory. I need more of Jesus. And then, of course, we need to let that overflow. We need to tell others that they need more of Jesus too. But let us be the example, not try to set the standard for everybody else. We need to be glorifying God. People will claim to desire peace and people can never quite get on the same page apart from Christ. But Jesus brings everyone together. Then we continue on in verse 7, after defining who he is, and the names of Jesus, and that his name will be great, his name will be wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and at that name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But then in verse seven, we continue to describe what that will look like a bit. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So the peace goes on. He's the prince of peace, and that peace not only has come, but it remains and it continues. Through the great work and of the increase of his government, that peace, there will be no end. That peace goes on, and that peace doesn't look like we want it to look sometimes, and we think, oh, man, everything's chaos, but he has brought peace, and he remains, and it will, his government and his peace will increase, and there is, it says, no end to the increase of his government. All things are happening according to his plan. As we started with in the beginning, we will be governed by Jesus. Again, here it is. The increase will happen. His government will increase, and we will be without question governed by Jesus Christ. There will be an increase not only of his government, but because of the increase of his government, there will also be an increase of his peace. As world peace decreases, we become more reliant on Jesus. Therefore, true peace increases. And then it's, uh, it says, continue in verse 7 upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. The nation of Israel, specifically, there will be peace over the nation of Israel to order it and to establish it. He will bring order and he will establish his kingdom. And it's in judgment, with judgment and justice, bringing these things together in such a perfect way. And it's only Jesus who can bring those together. Judgment and justice. It's only through Jesus. It's perfection. There's no problem in his system. But it's going to be forever. It's from that time forward, and that time that it's talking about is the time that Jesus is born. Remember, this is 700 years before Jesus was born, it's from that time forward there will be increase of his government, of his peace. There will be increase of his establishment. There will be increase of his judgment and justice. There will be peace because of him from that time forward when Jesus is born and forever. And how it takes place is the zeal of God. It's his desire that makes it happen. It's not people trying to usher it in and pull it in and claim and grab at the peace and make things happen in our way because we will mess it up. But the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, it will perform not only the miracle of the birth of Christ but it will perform all the work of the increase of his government and the increase of his peace, the increase of his establishment, the increase of the glorification of Jesus Christ. That will come because God desires it, and that's it. It's not gonna come because we make it happen. It will happen. It's his zeal, and it's his desire to make these things happen. That's his plan, and that's what he desires to happen because he loves you and me that much. The zeal of the Lord of hosts was to save his people. That's why he sent his son. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is great love for you and for me, and that's why there will be this plan for the baby to be born and laid in a manger and presented as the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, and then to hang on a cross to be presented as the sacrificial lamb because of his love for you and for me. Because of his zeal, it's his desire, it's his plan, happening the way that he desires it to happen. And it's gonna happen from generation to generation. He'll do the work. We have to enter in to believe in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you came. And we look to you Today we glorify you, we thank you for this day and this time to come together as as a people celebrating that we have God with us. We thank you for that name and the power that is in the name of Jesus to set the captives free, to break chains, to transform lives. To be our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. We pray for peace. Not just peace of this world, but peace with God. That we would be more like Jesus. We pray that we would come to a place of understanding and knowing who you are and putting our trust in you. We love you, we thank you, and we proclaim today that we need you. Would you bless us and draw near to us? Listen, if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, Let today be the day. Even you kiddos who are in the room, if you've not given your heart to Jesus Christ, let today be the day. Enter into that relationship because Jesus came to this earth. He is fully God and he became a human And that's why we celebrate Christmas, but we look from there at the plan for salvation. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants a friendship with you. He wants you to give your heart to him and live for him. So if you want to do that today, you can say these simple words in giving your heart to Jesus, say, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead and I give my life to you. Would you come into my life and make me more like you? In Jesus' name, amen.